as we have this time of idleness, it can be it can be difficult to keep your flame going, keep keep your fire going for Christ. And so today, I want to look at one of my favorite one of my favorite epistles, and that's Paul's letter to Timothy. Now, primarily, primarily this is for pastors. And what's so special about this letter is that it would be the last letter that the Apostle Paul writes. He's getting ready, as he says in chapter 4, to be poured out like a drink offering, and he will soon be martyred for the faith. So he takes young Timothy, who was, when I say young, 35 or so, in his mid-30s at least, and he writes to him, and he tells him what is important to him and also important to Timothy. And so Second Timothy is really a very personal letter. Now, we're going to look at what Paul says to Timothy today, and then we're going to make some applications as we go along. We're going to first of all look at rekindling God's gift. Now, you'll notice in verse 5, Paul writes this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Uh, In the verses directly before this, we read this, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, the Apostle Paul writes, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you. So the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy directly about the heritage of his faith. And now what Paul is going to challenge Timothy to do is to rekindle that gift, to rekindle the gift of salvation and what Christ has done in his heart. And he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Ananozo is the word there for fan into flame, and it talks about rekindling. Uh, The other day we went, uh, Friday night, we did a camp out, and we had a fire pit, and towards the end of the evening, we had to rekindle that. We had to poke it and prod it to get that flame going again. And that's exactly the word that's conveyed here by the Apostle Paul. I I want you to rekindle. I want you to I want you to find a way to stoke that fire that is within you, that Holy Spirit that is within you. I want you to uh, rekindle that, to catch your fire back. And he said it is a gift, something that is given by God. In this case, it was a given ministry to Timothy. So the question becomes, how do we stoke the fire within us? Well, one way is by studying the Bible. Sometimes just getting back to the Word of God can, can... create in us a need to reignite the fire. Sometimes we may read a verse, may come across a verse, may hear somebody uh, preaching on, on the radio as we're driving back and forth to work or, or back and forth to the, to the mall or to the, uh, wherever we're going. But it will give us an opportunity to rekindle that go, wow, you know, I, I need to start doing that again in my own life. Another way that you can rekindle the fire is by prayer. Prayer is one of the best ways to rekindle the fire within you. Uh, Paul wasn't specific here, so that you could play a wide range. But a way of rekindling 
what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in the faith of God and in Christ. Now he says in verse, and reading on down when we're talking here about the call, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Through the laying on of hands. I remember, I was just, earlier this week, I was looking up on my wall, September 22nd, 1990, I was ordained by the European Southern Baptist Convention in Germany. And I looked over the list of names that were there on my ordination. And I remember Dr. James Merritt preached my ordination service. And I remember at the end of that service, pastors and deacons from all over the Northern uh, European Southern Baptist Convention came forward and they placed their hands on my head my shoulders, my arms, my knees, wherever they could find, and they prayed for me. Now, the Apostle Paul here said that I laid hands on you. And by the way, that's where we get the, the idea of ordination and laying on of, of, of hands. Uh, but, you know, for us, for, for the normal folks who aren't pastors and are, they're not deacons, you could say that God has laid his hand on you, that you have a ministry. We know that from Second Corinthians chapter 12. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, you have a ministry within the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, for this reason, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you by the laying on of hands. Not that, not that when the Apostle Paul laid on his hands that there was some transference from God to Timothy directly, but a fact of an acknowledgement that God has truly gifted this person to carry out the work of ministry. You know, there's, there's some days I just never forget, and that was one of those days. And I remember the whole service, uh, Dr. James Merritt was preaching, and he challenged me to continue to follow God, and this was nearly 30 years ago now. And so I've remembered that from time to time. That's why I've, I put it up there on my wall so I can see it from time to time. Let me encourage you to rekindle God's call. Maybe it's to do something in the church. Maybe it's to uh, continue a ministry in the church. Maybe it's to start a ministry in the church. Whatever it is God has called you to do, I want to challenge you this morning to stir, to stir the gift that God has given you. And he's given each one of you a gift. Now, the reason that he's to stir this gift is for God gave us a spirit not of fear, I think about Paul telling Timothy this. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Spirit is the word pneuma. We've seen this word before. But this is not a direct reference to the Holy Spirit, but rather traits of the Holy Spirit. So he says, the reason that you're going to rekindle this gift and the reason that I laid hands on you and acknowledged that God had called you into the ministry was for the purpose of doing and carrying out the ministry. He says, not of fear. And the word means not out of cowardice. Uh, Y'all remember the cowardly lion in, on The Wizard of Oz. So many times during that movie, the lion, as they're getting closer to speaking to the Wizard of Oz, as they're getting ready to go forward down that long hallway, he goes, there's only one thing I want all y'all to do. And he goes, talk me out of it. <laughs> now, 
Paul says here, I want you to be strong. You do not have a spirit of fear. Listen, this world does not like us. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the fact that the world will not like us when we start talking about Christ. The world will not like it when we say the only way to heaven is, is through Jesus Christ. That we can expect feedback. We, we can expect feedback. And so the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy that I want you to stand fast. I want you to stay strong. I don't want you to crumble under pressure. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. And then he quickly adds, but of power and of love and self-control. Three traits here will stand out. Number one, power, dunamis. That's forefulness of character to carry out the authority that God has given us. You know, as a child of God, you and I are given power to carry out the mission that God has given us. And we just have to stand firm in it. We have to rely on his power. And then he says, secondly, love, which is agape, which basically refers to enduring under opposition. I can see a day. I, I can see a day I, at least 20 years from now. I can see a day where we are not going to be able to share the gospel. I mean, look at the, look at the signs. Look at what's going on around us. There's, there's coming a day. And you say, well, that can never happen in America. It could very easily happen. There could be a day when, it is, when you could be outlawed from teaching the Word of God. So Paul says here, I want you to have an agape love for people. And we talked about this last week. People are not the enemy. It's who is behind them that is the enemy. And the enemy is Satan. And so we have to be careful when we engage a lost world. But also, as we talked about last week, we need to hold our ground. We need to stand the ground that we have and continue to move forward. And then thirdly, he says, of self-control. This word, sophronimos, sophronimos, which means of sound judgment. That means we can't just, as believers, fly off the handle. We can't just say whatever is on our mind. There needs to be some type of control that no matter what is coming against us, that we do not lash out or, 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 or quickly say something that we might regret later. Uh, the Apostle Paul, self-control was very, very, very important to him. And by the way, that's a good way to live your life. Just don't lash out at people. Because then, then you wind up creating more, more problems, and then you have to go back and you have to apologize. So rekindle God's gift. We've looked at the call. We've looked at the reason that we're to rekindle that gift. And then in verses 8 through 10, he tells us, he tells us to be a courageous witness. Therefore, he writes, notice verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The word ashamed there refers to feeling of shame or disgrace. Years ago, when I was in the Army, 
I was a young private. No, that's not right. I was a, uh, I was a sergeant at that time, I, I remember. Still not quite sure of my faith, and there was stuff going on around me, and I didn't say anything. And that's what we're to avoid. We're not supposed to be ashamed or to step out and, um, and, be, and be afraid to step out and say something. Well, wait a minute. I'm a follower. I believe Jesus. The fact is, you can't get very far in this life. You can't get very far in this life without facing some type of suffering. I like what Lay and Griffin say in their commentary. The use of the Greek aorist tense suggests that at the present time, Timothy was not ashamed. Paul wanted such shame never to begin, but he realized the possibility that it might. And this word ashamed is an aorist tense, which re refers to a snapshot in time, a picture, like somebody takes a picture. But this particular moment in Timothy's life, he is not ashamed. But Paul realizes, even though Timothy is a young pastor, there may come a day when he becomes ashamed of not only the Lord, but also the Apostle Paul. We saw that in uh, Peter, didn't we? He denied Jesus three times. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. You were with him. No, I wasn't. That's the, that's the coward way to do it. So Paul, I, this, is a personal, this is a personal plea here. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the witness or the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as a prisoner. And the word witness, the word testimony is a, a witness. Let me remind us this morning that those of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a witness to his grace. We are a witness to his mercy. And we should be telling others about the good news of Christ. He goes on to write here in verse 8, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We will suffer, but we also have power available to us. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The thing is, pastors, deacons, church members, there's all going to come a point in your life at some point when you're going to be challenged. And our job is to simply stand firm, hold our faith, keep our ground, and be willing to answer back and give, an, give a defense. Somebody asks you why you, believe about Je why, why you believe in Jesus. Why well, believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is the only Son of God. He went to the cross. He paid for my sin. He lived a sinless life, took that sinless life, put it on the cross, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. That's my testimony. That's your testimony. That's the testimony we have to stand by. And we can never compromise that testimony. The Apostle Paul says here, 
do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And you notice here, by the power of God, my friend Dr. Newt Larson wrote this in his commentary. We gain strength to overcome persecution by the power of God as we depend upon his strength and place confidence in his judgments. You know, you remember last week, which is why I hooked it up with this sermon. Do you remember last week when, when, when I said we do not live our Christian life in our own power? The Apostle Paul is saying it here. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of God. He has given us this, the Holy Spirit who exhibits traits in our lives. And one of those traits is to be courageous and to stand firm against all the attacks that the gospel will under will undergo. I think of our brothers and sisters in, in the Middle East who are being killed and executed simply because they call on the name of Jesus and they witness for him and they tell the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, when we're persecuted, you should look at it this way. I'm in pretty good company. When you are persecuted for standing for the truth, you're in pretty good company. We have a long heritage of being persecuted. Like I said before, I do believe there is a day. There is a day coming when it could be against the law to preach the gospel. It's already kind of started. They've already, and this is years ago though, I know, but I mean, they are banning all kinds of stuff in public schools. How do you think we got to the culture we got today? It was through what's happening with the kids. As they grow up, they've, they've learned a worldly system. And our kids are Christians. They grow up in this environment. They've got to fight it. We've got to stand so that our kids can see us standing for the truth of the gospel so that they go, oh, yeah, this is what grandpa does. This is what grandma does. This is what mom does. This is what dad does. And we're going to follow that example. This is how we got to where we are today. We're to be a courageous witness, and Paul drops in the gospel in verses 9 and 10. Who saved us, listen to that, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Let's unpack this for a minute as we think about the gospel. First of all is the word sozo, which means rescue. He saved us. That is, he rescued us. And we know what the rescue was. That was from eternal damnation, separated from God. He rescued us. Sozo. He pulled us out of that. And in doing that, he pulled us into his marvelous light. This makes us totally different. I want you to understand, Jesus takes living dead people and brings them back to life. Who saved us and called us. Kalo, which means summons to a task, which is interesting because he says not because of our works. And then to a holy calling is hagios, 
which is pure and divine and holy. So you could say it this way. Number one, the gospel leads to a changed life. Do you remember the day that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I remember that day. And I knew when I prayed with that chaplain, something changed in me. I felt a weight being lifted. And of course, it took me a few months to really understand exactly what happened. But my life is not the life I had 40 years ago. It's different. And it doesn't mean I've arrived, because I haven't. I'm still growing. But it does mean that I realize that when people trust in Christ, they are changed. And it is evidence, evidence of what happened when you start seeing it working out in their lives. We can't be root inspectors, but we can sure be fruit inspectors. We can see if somebody's, you know, if they just say, well, I trusted in Jesus when I was six years old. They haven't followed him. I don't know if they're saved or not. That's between them and God. But I can tell you what a, what a life looks like. It's a life that has changed. So Paul says, who saved us and called us. Then he adds, not because of our works, ergon or task. So he's just called us to a task, but it's not a task that we do, not because of our works. He didn't save us because of how good we are. In fact, he saved us because we are not as good as we think we are. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. And his grace comes into our lives, changes us radically. And he goes on to add here, but because of his own purpose and grace. Prothesis, which means plan, this word purpose. Since this happened before the ages, understand this, that the gospel was not a knee-jerk reaction to sin. God knew before the foundations of the world that man would fall. God is transcendent out of time, yet he is imminent in time. And so you could say God is, is here looking back over creation, realizing that man was going to fall. And before time began, he had a plan to redeem man. One theologian said it's like trying to nail jelly to a wall, figuring that one out. But this is how God reveals his grace to us. Aren't, aren't you glad that God revealed his grace in Jesus Christ? Horus is the Greek word for grace here, and it means unmerited favor. Every one of us here today and those watching by uh, Facebook, you are under the grace of God. You have God's favor. You don't earn God's favor. God's gift is free, and it's on you. Thirdly, about this gospel, it was planned before creation. He goes on to say, which he gave us in Christ before the age began. Christ is eternal, and also the gospel was pre-existent before creation. So God knew. God, God knew. And then fourthly, this gospel is historically known. 
and which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I know you've probably heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. When I was taking a summer course, I needed a, a, uh, an, an ancient history course, and I went to Florida State University. And I took it under a secular professor. And there were many times I just had to sit on my hands. But I do remember when he got to the life of Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, he portrayed Christ and the gospel directly. I was shocked. And at the end of that section, and he goes, so we see that Jesus was a good man. And that day as he was leaving the room, I stopped him and I said, you did a great job explaining Jesus, the gospel, all the social things that were happening at the day. But I said, you messed up on one area, Professor. And he said, what's that? And I said, Jesus is not a good man. He is the Savior of the world. That professor just turned and looked at me and he said, I disagree with you. But here's the point. Even secular Historians realized that Jesus was real. That he wasn't a figment of our imagination. That Jesus really came to this earth. He really took up his place on this earth. And he lived a sinless life. And taught about the kingdom of God. What did Jesus do while he was here? Look at the next verse. He abolished death. Isn't that a praise? Death has no hold over you or me. When you die, you go directly to be with him. There's no stopping point. There's no, uh, there's no waiting period. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So at the moment that you die, death does not have a claim on you. So as we get closer to the finish line, we need to think closer to the finish line means closer to Jesus that I can see him face to face. What a glorious day. And yes, and I know I've preached a lot of funerals. I, I, I can't remember. There's, there's been so many people who have died that I've preached funeral for. It's maybe over 300 or so. I, I, I don't know. If you do 10 a year, that's 300. And I've known some wonderful Christians that have died. And I've had some wonderful experiences with them as they were passing on to see Jesus. Wow. And you know, Jesus abolished death. Yes, for us on this side of the fence, when we lose a loved one, I get it. It hurts. But when that person dies, they are more alive than they've ever been in their lives. And we cling to that. That's the hope that we have. Not hope like, gee, I hope that comes true. Confident hope. Jesus said, Paul says here, Jesus abolished death and then brought life and immortality through the gospel. Listen, the only way that people can be made alive when they are dead spiritually is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's get out there, share the word of God, and risk and risk. I'm, I don't say... 
There's certain ways to share the gospel. One is to cram it down their throat and the other one is to be an example and live it before them and love them and care for them. Show them gently. But at some point, the gospel has to be presented. You cannot avoid sin. You cannot avoid the word sin. You cannot avoid saying you must repent. You can't avoid that. But there's a way to do that. And and that's the only way because that's how he brings immortality to life through the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And lastly, to trust in him. This is a personal one for me. In verse 11, he writes this, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. I'm not an apostle. The word preacher means to proclaim. That's what I'm trying to do this morning, proclaim. The apostle has the authority, and the teacher is the one that instructs on life and faith. You remember earlier in the sermon I said that everybody has a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you'll find that you do, in fact, have a spiritual gift. You have a mission. You have a mission. God's given you a mission. You just got to out what the mission is and then do it. And we do this with confidence. Which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul acknowledges that God's calling has right that. For Paul, it was the ultimate price tag. Although if you look at the Apostle Paul's life wasn't clean and sweet. He was shipwrecked, beaten, battered, harassed. So the Apostle Paul is reminding He says, this is why I suffer as I do. 2 Timothy 3.1, same uh, scriptures we're looking at here. In the last days, there will come difficulties. The last days started with the arrival of Jesus Christ to this earth. Hebrews 1.1 and 2. Are these not difficult days, brothers and sisters, that we live in? Read that list. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 and following. I think it goes through 5 or 6. One of the greatest verses. Paul writes this. Right after that, I suffer as I do, but he writes that I'm not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, convinced that it occurred until that day that which has been entrusted to me. The word guard means to watch over, to protect to keep in custody. 
Again, my friend Newt Larson writes this, Paul had an unshakable confidence that God would keep him safe whatever he placed in his care. Whether it was his life or ministry, these treasures were safely deposited in God's protection. I preach unashamedly, once saved, always saved. When you come to saving faith by Jesus Christ and you mean it in your heart, Jesus himself says, no man shall pluck you out of my hand. You are kept. You are saved. No matter what happens to you in this life, no matter what kind of problems you encounter, no matter how many hardships you have, no matter how many friends abandon you, no matter how many people talk bad about you, you are secure in Christ. He has guarded it until the day that you cross the finish line and you see him face to face. You can have that confidence. The Apostle Paul says, I don't care what happens to me. They, they can kill me. They can take away my life. They can do whatever they want to with me. But I know who I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which is committed unto me until that day. Some of you have gone through a lot. I know that. But I want to tell you this morning, for those of you that have trusted in Jesus Christ, You are secure. Nothing will change that. Though Satan and his demons may, may be aimed against you, you are his. So this is what I want us to remember this morning. Rekindle God's gift that is in you. Be a courageous witness in this world and trust him with your life. Fan the flame. Fan the gift that is within you.